Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. John chapter 1, verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. I want to talk to you from this, to me, very profound story, story that is very well known, but it always gives people a little bit of a different look at Jesus than what sometimes we like to to give him. To me, this text is about how a lot of Christians go through their faith, just kind of surviving, just bumping along, just maintaining at best. It's kind of a boring faith for them. It's a ho-hum existence, if you will. And they're just surviving. You know, when I think about surviving, I think, you know, you survive a boat crash. You know, you survive a plane crash. But when it comes to our faith, our job, our call is not to just survive. It's not a way of life that God calls us to where day in and day out, you're just trying to figure out how do I make it through another day? If you truly want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus died for us to have, you're going to have to wake up to the idea that he wants you to do more than just survive, than just barely make it. And Jesus, the Bible teaches us, lived a life absolutely consumed. It says here that he was eaten up with zeal for God's house. Well, a lot of people, when they see Jesus, they see him as he's portrayed in historical art. They see him kind of as kind. You know, it's always the picture of Jesus holding a little lamb. The reason I know this is how so many people see Jesus is because for several years when I was pastoring the church, every Christmas, I would get about five to 10 paintings of Jesus holding the little lamb. And after about five years of pastoring and a closet filled with paintings of Jesus holding a lamb, I had to tell the church, would you please not give me any more paintings of Jesus holding a lamb? I've got plenty. I appreciate that picture of him, but many times people associate Jesus with this idea that he was just kind of ho-hum about everything, just, just didn't really make a big deal out of much, that he just kind of was friends with everybody no matter what, that he wouldn't be a God that came and had goals or had zeal or had passion, that Maybe we see him even kind of like what many of us are, just aimlessly wandering through life, no standards, no expectations. God would never want something 
from my life. I mean, he's given me breath. He's given me my time here on the planet. He's given me so much. But I mean, I mean, come on, what what does he want from me? But I want to introduce you to how Jesus lived, not how he died. We talk a lot about how he died, but I want to talk to you about how when Jesus was on the planet, how he lived. And the truth is the way he lived is very different than the way a lot of us portray him. You see Jesus with tears because he was burdened with people. You see Jesus weeping. You see Jesus cast out demons in services when he taught and preached. If for some reason we had to cast out a demon in this service, I'm guessing dozens of you would not come back because you thought it was crazy. But if Jesus was preaching in this service and you had a demon, something tells me it would come out. I'm just not that anointed, I guess. And I'm kind of glad about it most of the time. Anybody else ever had to deal with that before? It's not fun. I've had to deal with that before. It's very real. The devil is very real. How he wants to oppress your life, maybe even possess your life is very real. And so Jesus had tears. Jesus would cast out demons. Jesus would be found confronting the Pharisees. Do you know we have a God that would confront wrong? He would confront sin. He lived his life dodging assassination attempts. You find Jesus fasting for 40 days, no meal, just because he so desperately wants God in his life. You see him praying, not for five minutes here, but sometimes all night long, he would spend time in prayer seeking God. He was also a master at relationships. Every relationship you see Jesus enter into, he just had such a way about him in the uniqueness of each person he came in contact with to know exactly how to address what was going on in their heart. Psalm 69, it says that Jesus would live. This was a prophecy concerning Jesus that he would live eaten up with zeal or passion for God's house. If you really want to be like Jesus, if that's really in your heart, then you're going to catch that he was more than a survivor. He was more than somebody that would wake up on any given day trying to figure out how can I make it? He was a man and God, 100% man, 100% God, and he lived with zeal and passion and desire. The word passion means focused energy. What are you focusing your energy on? What, what are you passionate about? Is it a new house? Is it your cars or, or is it the stuff that you can gather in life? Nothing is wrong with all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, what is your energy focused on? What is it? What are you locked onto with, with your heart, with your desire? What really matters to you? At the end of the day, what's most important to you? Is it more stuff? Is it the decimal point being moved down so you can add another zero to your worth? Or are you at a place where you're saying it does not matter how much of all of that that I get if I do not have more of him, if it does not add to my zeal and my passion for him, I don't want any of it. I don't. It's fine if it's there as long as I keep my energy focused on him. So Jesus lived with zeal. That translates he lived with passion. He lived with desire. He lived with heart. 
He was abnormal in his activities. He was not accepting of just settling for the average in life, always pushing to the next mile, always pushing for us to go further than what most would go. Never taught his apostles to settle for a cute little religious activity, just show up and go through dead, dry motions and activities. He never taught us how to have a casual attitude towards the lost and the dying and the hurting in our world. He called us and he loves us and all of us, he's calling us to follow him. And he lived with zeal for God's house. He lived with passion for God's house. So are you passionate about God's house? I know you're passionate about him, but are you passionate about his house? In John chapter two, when Jesus walks into the temple and you see this, this image of Jesus being angry and upset and frustrated, maybe even irritated, and he's throwing up the tables, you have to know that he did not fly into a rage. This was not uh, an unmanaged emotion in his life. It was just the opposite. What happened is he sees what they're doing and the Bible there says he walked away. He looks at his disciples and he says, Hey, don't worry about what's happening. I got something I'm going to take care of and I'll be right back. And he goes out and he doesn't find a whip in some barn somewhere. He doesn't go buy a whip. The Bible says he made one. He goes out. I don't know if he had to kill the cow or the oxen. I don't know if he had to gut the thing and hang it up and strip the leather off of it. I don't know if he had if he went and bought what leather. I don't know all those things. But the Bible says you can see him making a whip, cutting one strip of leather and then another strip of leather and then another strip of leather and then starts weaving it together practicing, Whoops. snapping loud enough. Does that put enough fear? Anybody have a dad that did that with their belt? Y'all, this generation knows nothing about this stuff. And I feel so bad for you. Oh yeah. My dad, he was one solid. I don't even know how he did it. It was like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. but this is the thing. They think they're getting away with it. They're just in there acting like they can treat God's house haphazardly. Doesn't really matter. Showing very little care for it. There for every other reason other than God and, and advancing his kingdom. All kinds of messed up motives. And Jesus is out there making a whip. They think they're getting away with it. And Jesus is getting them ready for the whipping of their life. He walks in one to 200 people are there. All your religious leaders, your Pharisees are there. Your temple guards are there. I mean, these men are armed. They're trained soldiers. And Jesus, the Bible says, shows up and he drives them out. He drives the military out of God's house. And we think we serve a God that just holds lambs and make sure his hair looks really long and stringy and his eyes are sparkling just right. He's not a boring God. He, he's not a cutthroat God. He's a God that is zealous for his house. And what attracted me 
to church was when I finally met a group of people that showed me a real Jesus, that showed me he was a man of zeal. He was a man of passion for me and for my life. He was focused in his energy. He was fearless and courageous about the way that he lived and he was selfless. He was not just a little religious church mouse. He was a man and he took his responsibility as a man seriously to build God's house. And I said to myself, that's a man I can follow. That's a man I can give my life to. Not some little, just going at it a little, but a man that gave his all is a man I could follow. but accepting for many people that he's passionate about his house is difficult. People don't understand, well, can I just pray on my own? Absolutely. That's, it's not either or, it's both and. It's not one or the other, it's all of it. We need all of it. We need people that are committed to God on their own time, and we need people that are committed corporately, and we need people that realize God is adding to our lives in everything that we do, both privately and in public. He uses it all. The book of Revelation teaches us so much about who he is. When you read the entire message to the last day church, he begins writing not to individuals, but to the church. Most of your Bible was not written to individuals. It was written to churches. So if you want to have a personal relationship with God and you read through Ephesians and you read through Colossians and you read through Corinthians and you read through them all, they're all letters that were written to the church. So you can't really even read it and get it. If you don't say, God, I want to be zealous for what you're zealous for. Yeah, I have my opinions. Yeah, I've had my experiences. Yeah, I've had my ups and downs in my faith. Yeah, I get, I get all this stuff that, that, that's out there, the easy hits, the easy, uh, you know, cheap punches that people throw at all this. But at the end of the day, it really takes people that realize, yes, I can do it on my own, but to make a difference, we got to pull together. We got to divest ourselves of our own little stuff. And we got to say, there's something greater than me as an individual. And it's what we can do together. And I have to be zealous for both. Jesus is the head of the church. We're his body. And he's passionate about the body. Matthew 16, listen to how Jesus talks about the church. He said, I'll build my church. I will. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can you hear his passion? I will build my church. It's like he's telling the devil, you can do whatever you want to do. You can attack my church however you want to. But no, at the end of the day, it's not just them building it. I'm building it and you will not prevail against her. Psalms 92, those who are planted in the house of the Lord flourish. It goes into, if you're of old age, it goes into all these different promises that you could be fresh and you can flourish. But being planted talks about commitment. It talks about passion. I want that kind of, of a relationship, not just with God, but with his house. That I care for him, but I care for his house. You say, Marcus, I'm just not there yet. Is this about going to heaven? No, we're not talking about going to heaven. You make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're going to heaven. That's good. You're there. We're talking about being passionate. Being passionate about what he's passionate about here on this earth. And if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to have to be passionate about his house. 
can't afford to live your life without passion. You can't afford to live your life thinking that passion is something that you can conveniently add to the equation and conveniently take away. The difference between you winning in your life with God and you just, again, barely surviving comes down to that one thought, passion. Study anybody who's done anything great in life and you will locate somehow, some way they tapped into passion. Somehow, some way they focused their energy. Somehow, some way they removed every distraction that they could find. Yesterday, I was invited by somebody in the church to the Western Southern Tennis Open. Did I say that right? I maybe said it wrong. I'm not a tennis person. But I know that this is a big deal, and this person uh, is, had really good seats. And so we said, I, again, I don't know tennis, but we went. And um, it was awesome. It was, it was a great, great time. I'm kind of now a little bit of a, got my tennis itch going on right now. So... Um, yeah, maybe that's what's next for me. <laughs> Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You get older, you're starting to look for hobbies that don't hurt as much. I don't know if that one's it or not. We're watching some of the best in the world play. And this butterfly keeps getting out on the court. This little butterfly just flying out on the court. And they had to come and get the butterfly and put it, I don't know, somewhere where it's safe, but isn't a distraction to the players. And it hit me that the best in the world, the best in the world, think about all the pressures they have dealt with. Think about all the things they've had to fight off. But yet everybody there knows that something like that can distract the best in the world. And every now and then you have to ask yourself, have I been taken off my game? Have I been thrown off my game? Because it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It in no way can stop the ball. It can no way stop you, what you've done, your experiences, the fights you fought to get where you not one, there is nothing about that thing should be able to stop that you and I can get distracted so easily. But when you're passionate, you make a decision to say, I don't really care what everything else is doing. I know I'm here on assignment. I know I've got a goal. I know I've got something I need to do. And it takes passion to do that. Why does God pass up the most gifted? Why does God pass up the most qualified? Why does God pass up the most educated many times in the kingdom? It's because he's looking for passion. I love this church. I love it because every time I think, well, surely that was our best year. Surely we can't go any further. Surely it's we're at the end and now it's downhill from here. <laughs> Anybody else ever think like that? You just sometimes like, man, that is so good. There's no way we can keep that during COVID. I thought there's no way this church can stay on course during a pandemic during political unrest, you name it, you have stayed passionate. You've kept your energy focused and you've been zealous for God's house. We're zealous for him and we're zealous for his house in Jesus name. I love the scripture in revelations. that says, I wish that you be either cold or hot. 
right? Because then he goes and he says, if, if, if you're not hot, I'll spew you, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, the very place that, that speech happens, where, where the voice happens, where, where talking comes from, the very place where when, when you and I are, we're in that place where we can hear him. We're close to him. He can talk to us and we're right there. We don't ever want to be the kind of people that get so apathetic that we're thrown out. We're spewed out of the place of him communicating and talking with us. He says, I want you to be hot. Be zealous for my house. Be zealous for what I'm zealous for. Be zealous for souls. Be zealous to advance the kingdom. Be zealous to say, God, I'm all yours. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.